0: Sezygy, Episode 58, Astronomical Pancake Theory. And welcome back for another edition of the Syzygy podcast. My name's Chris Stewart. Sitting opposite me at the table, as ever, Emily Brunson. Hey, Emily. Hello, hello. We've been away for a couple of weeks. It's been a busy, busy time, busy it month. Has, yeah. What you been up to?
1: So we've been at your night, which yeah, was really exciting. We have.
0: So that's the uh, the University of York's uh, local researcher demonstration outreach evening down at the Barbican here in York and they had the the massive exhibition space where everyone had their their stuff out and families and kids and everyone out doing stuff and they also had a bunch of talks and we did a bit of science-based cabaret which was kind of fun it was a huge day
1: it was amazing yeah I think
0: I think er everyone from York all of York came along at one point it was pretty crowded in there but lots of fun so we've been doing that which means we've been kind of busy. Uh, But we're back. We're back now and getting up on the podcast horse again, if that's not too tortured an analogy. We're on a podcast horse, riding along. Where are
1: we going with this? I
0: don't know. I'm (laughs) going to get off the horse now. Off you go. Go away, horse. Um, So today, today we are talking about something which is sort of relevant to to the date where we're sort of halfway through. As we're recording this, we're halfway through the month of February and coming up Towards the end of February is a very important day for those of us who love food. Of course it's Shrove Tuesday. And pancake. As, day. as everyone knows, that's pancake day, right? Whether you whether you're into the whole shrove thing and then followed by lent or whether you're just like pancakes it's a really good day to have having an international basically an international day of pancakes is not a bad thing
1: i love pancakes
0: me too me too are you a are you a thin pancake person or a thick pancake are you are you like crepey person or big fluffy
1: oh so i, so I have to put some extra caveats into this okay for warm pancakes i like thin crepey pancakes yeah but for cold pikelets with a bit of butter, ah, see, gets me every time. I,
0: and see, I don't know if a pikelet is a thing over here. No, I, I, no, I've had, no, people look I, at me I've had to explain pikelets before. All right, before. so when you say pikelet, what are you talking about?
1: So they're kind of thick, small pancakes. Yeah,
0: yeah, kind of sort of, you know, you could fit it in your hand easily, yeah. couldn't you? And yeah, and you eat
1: them cold with a bit of butter, maybe a bit of jam. Well, they are
0: very good warm.
1: Marmite.
0: They are very good warm, but you can eat them.
1: Well, I shed them in my lunchbox as a kid. Yeah, so. yeah,
0: yeah. Bit oh. of, I mean, even just with a bit of butter on them. They're, oh, they're yes. really good. But yes, that's a pikelet in Australia, in New Zealand. I don't know if that's a thing over here. Listeners, if pikelets are a thing for you, let us know. You can, you can contact <laughs> us on the website or on Twitter, send us it, wherever, you know, all the places you can go. To, and tell us your pikelet memories. But the reason that we're talking about – I don't know how we – I think the horse has come back and dragged us off down this tangent. Um, the reason we're talking about pancakes – Is because it's Pancake Day coming up. And, astronomically, pancakes are a thing, apparently. Emily?
1: Well, (laughs) they are a thing. Well, I've made them a thing. Is this
0: the most tenuous link that we've ever made in this podcast i think it might be
1: well i can tell you the history of this okay. so uh, a few years ago uh, back in 2014 i was giving uh, we had the astro campus open for science week and it happened that the way that the dates fell that particular year that the that night i was working on the tuesday night happened to be pancake day right and i thought well let's celebrate this how can we mix pancakes and astronomy
0: must be away Sure. must surely. be away
1: and then i looked at a pancake and i thought you know what there's a lot of things in astronomy that kind of look like pancakes.
0: Okay. Name one.
1: Saturn's rings.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so Saturn, kind of Saturn is a big planet, but the rings go out quite a long way. So I guess a pancake, which is very fat in the middle, hmm. maybe it's got like a big blueberry or something in it. And then you've got the big, fat, pancakey bit around the outside. All right. Okay. All right. So you have identified in your usual fashion a bunch of astronomical pancakey things that we can talk about today.
1: Yeah, things and, that look like pancakes in the universe. And
0: for no other reason than pancakes. Yeah. Why not? Okay, so you can, those of you listening at home, you can go and make yourself a batch of pancakes in whichever fashion you like, whether it's the small pike ones, the thin, thin, lovely, crepey ones, or the big, fat, thick, sort of American-styly ones. And then while you're eating your pancakes, you can listen to us nattering about Astronomical pancakes, Emily. Before we we launch ourselves off into the universe and start talking about pancakey things, there is something. I mean, it's it's sort of one of the one of the primary the primary reason why we get pancakey things in the universe. So we should, we should probably nail that one down first, which is the whole notion of angular momentum spininess you might you might call it yeah so there's
1: find- so there's a concept in physics which is called the conservation of angular momentum yeah. and this is the reason why we have disks so first of all let's break down what this whole conservation of angular momentum means so the first thing is angular means you've got something to do with rotation yep. spinny things Circles. Right? Yep. yep momentum momentum's an interesting concept it's a very physicsy concept but it's something that we also inherently have intuition mm. about as well so in the physics in physics land if you like uh, momentum is the product of your mass and your velocity so if you've got large momentum then you've got Large, large mass or large velocity or both.
0: Yeah, right? and intuitively that kind of makes sense if you think about you know the the amount of of moviness <laughs> moving movingness that a car has. It's got a lot of mass, and if it's moving fast, it's got it's got a lot of inherent momentum attached yeah. to it. M times v. Even if it's not moving terribly fast, it's still going to hurt if it hits you. Like it's the mass and the speed. So that's that. A little bit different for angular stuff, though, isn't it? In that, in that you need to talk about when something's turning around. It's a slightly different way of looking at the mass, and it's a slightly different way of looking at the speed.
1: Yeah. So there's two ways we can look at angular momentum. We can look at it in terms of a spin, mm-hmm. which is something that's spinning on its own axis. So that means that like, uh, um, the sun, for example, spins on its own axis. Yeah. Uh, or we can look at things that have orbital angular momentum.
0: Right. So it's not necessarily that it's spinning around on its own axis, but it's going circularly around something else.
1: Yeah. And those two things are kind of actually the same thing, depending on exactly how you put your mass distribution, right? Yeah. Orbital angular momentum is the same as spin. It's just that the thing that's orbiting has the mass out in the orbit.
0: So it can get very quickly, very complicated, particularly when you look at the mathematics of it all. But the, the bottom line is that when you have a certain amount of Angular momentum, you know, spinicality. When you, you know, when you have a certain amount of that, that is conserved. So, what do we mean by that?
1: So, conserved means you can't sort of create it spontaneously, and you can't destroy it spontaneously. A bit like energy. Right. If you, if you look at a system and you look at its change over time, uh, the total. So long as you're not fiddling with the um, sort of mechanics of the system, you're not fiddling with things like the mass, then the angular momentum is going to be conserved from, say, position A to position B.
0: Right. So one of the classic examples of this is your your figure skater, right? It's in all the textbooks, all of the physics textbooks, right? You've got a figure skater doing a spin, and they're spinning around. They've got their arms and legs out, and they're spinning slowly because the mass is sort of further away from from their body, from, from where they're spinning around, from their axis of spin, right? So they've got the mass all spread out, so they're spinning slowly. They draw their arms in. And the mass has moved closer to that central line. So where the mass is has changed. That means in order to keep the same amount of spinniness, their angular speed speeds up. They go faster as they pull their arms in. Yeah, And that's an example of conservation of angular momentum. That it's where your mass is and how fast you're turning.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to give you an equation to, to help you understand that. Go
0: on then. We're not right. I love a
1: good equation. So the angular momentum, we, we use a capital L for this one. Yeah. I'm not really sure why.
0: Bl- angular. No.
1: An- an- angular. No, I'm, not, I'm not even going to guess because I'll get in no. trouble. Um, so if you imagine that whatever this L is, it's a constant. You can't change that number, whatever it is. And that is uh, three things multiplied by together, right? So it's, well, it starts off with two. It's the radius times the momentum, the linear momentum or the straight line momentum. That's what makes it angular Mm -hmm. Um, And remember that momentum is mass times velocity So Mm -hmm. if you like, it's radius times mass times velocity Okay. Now in the case of the figure skater We weren't changing their mass
0: No, their mass is the same They haven't lost or gained an arm or a leg
1: No, so what we have changed um, However, is the radius at which that mass is distributed. So in that case, we can say, well, the, overall, the radius has gone down.
0: You've drawn your arms and legs in. So yep. your R has gone down, which so means?
1: The V must go up. V
0: has got to go up in order to keep L for angular momentum. L oh, no. stays the same. And so if if R goes down, then V goes up.
1: Yeah. Okay. Conservation
0: yeah. of angular momentum. There you are.
1: Yeah, Done. exactly. And this sort of collapsing situation is actually really good because we talk about this a lot in astronomy. So what we have in astronomy though, instead of figure skaters, are, tend to be things like clouds of right. gas. And it's these clouds that collapse.
0: Collapse because of gravity?
1: Under gravity. Right. Yeah.
0: So gravity is drawing everything down together, but if you've got a certain amount of angular momentum, a certain amount of L, then if M is staying the same, because the amount, the amount of mass isn't necessarily changing, it's all just a bunch of stuff, then if you're bringing it in closer together, clumping it down, R is going down, which means V is going up. Yes. So things speed up as they collapse down.
1: Yeah. Okay, easy, so,
0: done. I don't know what the problem was.
1: Well, how do you form a disk then out of this? Ah, yeah, it's a little tricky. Fine,
0: okay. Yep. Well, it's
1: not that really. It's, a, it's not too bad. So what you have, if you have a cloud, so let's say you've just got a random cloud of gas. Now, you can imagine that every molecule or every atom in your gas cloud has its own peculiar velocity. Okay. Right. It's heading off in whatever direction it was in, right? Now, if you took a, a sum or if you counted up all the different particles in your gas cloud – there's going to be one direction that's very slightly preferred, even in a random cloud.
0: Okay. So let's, what, what you're saying is we're, we're setting ourselves up with, with a random cloud where things are moving in all sorts of, of directions. But one is going to be just ever so slightly randomly. Yeah, we're kind of just ever so slightly going this way. Yeah. Okay.
1: Because nothing is stationary in the universe, right? right? No. So there's going to be some sort of very slight preferential rotation axis. Sure. And then as that cloud starts to collapse, that particular axis is amplified. Because what happens is, as you have your gas um, molecules, for example, colliding with one another, let's say you're started spinning in a clockwise direction, sure. right? So anything that's kind of perpendicular to that, that's pointing upwards or downwards, then they tend to cancel out yeah. over time yeah. as the cloud collapses. So all your upward moving particles cancel out with your downward moving particles and they start to get dragged along with the overall spin. Of the cloud.
0: So that tiny imbalance grows and grows and grows because everything else cancels out. And that, that just one little, we were going clockwise now becomes guess what, everyone? We're all going clockwise in a big way.
1: Yeah. And so your sort of um, ups and downs start to cancel, which means you squish everything into a single plane, which makes a disk.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Right. So that gives us a little bit of a grip in sort of angular momentum 101 as applied to astrophysics turning clouds of stuff into a disk now we can talk pancakes we're going to start with jupiter uh not jupiter although jupiter does have rings doesn't it, it doesn't we're going to start with saturn <laughs>
1: uh yeah so let's well we can I'll talk about all the astronomical fun things that we have and then we can talk about maybe why okay
0: sounds these good these things
1: actually turn into pancakes
0: cuz i mean it's got to be a reason it's not just coincidence
1: no, no it's not it's all physics in the end isn't yeah. it yeah it's yeah. all physics. So the first thing is I wanted to when I did this um, research for this show, I thought, well, let's how are we gonna make this kind of interesting? How are we gonna keep what um, the context of what these astronomical things are in the context of pancakes? Okay. So I thought, well, maybe we can do some sums. Mm. I like a few sums. Because it's,
0: it's always good for an audio medium, is let's do some mental mathematics. Yeah. Good. <laughs> well,
1: to be fair, I didn't i used a calculator for these.
0: All right. All um, right. so
1: I did some sums and I thought, well, if I scaled the different pancake-like objects that we have in the universe to being the size of a dinner plate.
0: Mm-hmm. Like a nice big pancake. Yeah.
1: How thick would all of these be? Okay.
0: So would they be a crepey type pancake? Would they be a big fluffy one? Or would they be just a stupidly thick one? Or would they be sort of, you know, an atom thin?
1: Yeah. And I think that's quite useful because it kind of gives you some scales yeah. about discs and sure. pancakes and other restaurant core, Okay, all right. So if we start with Saturn. Let's do that. So Saturn is definitely your typical pikelet.
0: Right. In what sense? <laughs> that it's, it's squat and thick. Yeah, so okay. if Saturn's
1: rings were scaled to be the size of a dinner plate, then they would end up being about four centimetres thick.
0: That's quite thick. That's yeah. A, like, even cooking that, I think, would be a challenge. Four centimetres and it's a dinner plate. That is quite thick.
1: That's a hearty meal. Sat- I always
0: thought, okay, I'm quite surprised by that, because I thought that Saturn's rings were really quite thin. So I'm wrong about that.
1: Yeah, so it's all about scale. So okay. Saturn's rings um, are sort of a bit squat, I guess, in terms of the scales of what we're going to also be talking about with these other disks. So the actual, if you like, radial area that the rings are spread out over or the diameter that they're spread out over is fairly small compared to the thickness of the rings themselves.
0: Okay. Do you have a, a sense of, I'm imagining my dinner plate, that's the, the, the diameter of the rings. How big is Saturn sitting in the middle of that dinner plate.
1: That's a good question. I didn't do the sums on that one. Mm.
0: We'll have to have but, a look at that one.
1: Yeah, it's definitely bigger than a blueberry though.
0: Right. Okay, so it's not a tiny little thing in the middle. It would be a, you know, maybe some modest sized piece of fruit sitting in the in the middle of the plate there.
1: Yeah. Okay. But there's lots of interesting physics that goes on in the rings of Saturn. So this for I mean what are the rings? They're not Yeah, there's a good place to start. Yeah, they're not actually pancake material they're really. They're
0: not. So what are they? What are they made of?
1: So they're tiny little bits of ice and rock mm-hmm. that are orbiting around Saturn. And they all but in particular structures. So they look like rings because instead of being sort of a solid disk that goes from Saturn outwards, then you've got gaps in the rings. Um, Some of them are very, very famous names, like the Cassini division, Mm -hmm. the Encke gap, and things like this, which separates them into distinct ring like structures rather than being smooth.
0: Yeah, I mean you see some of the the really high resolution images that we've got of Saturn, which are stunning, by the way. And I know, I know that you tend to sort of feel a bit like, oh Saturn, here we go again. It's not your favorite of the planets. We have established that. But it's still pretty awesome. And the rings are absolutely stunning in high resolution. But they're also
1: incredibly complex. Really complex. And there's a lot of amazing physics that goes on in those rings as well. Okay, so
0: what is going on? Why the complexity?
1: So, what's happening is that you've got lots of different interactions between the rings and Saturn itself and Saturn's moons. So, Saturn has lots of different moons, but the most. It does,
0: doesn't it? It's got like a couple of dozen?
1: Yeah, uh, more than 60, I think. Wow. Because it's got the most moons in the solar system now. That's
0: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's
1: overtaken Jupiter. So, but most of those moons are very, very far away or very, very small. Uh, some of the significant ones are things like Titan um, and Titan is a uh, very, very large. It's one of the largest moons in our solar system. And these moons create uh, what we call orbital resonances in the rings of Saturn. So what happens is instead of having this beautiful, smooth distribution of the ice and rock and lumps in the rings, you get bits where it's gravitationally unstable for stuff to be there.
0: Right. So because you've got a very, very large planet around which the rings go and around which the moons go, but then you've also got some pretty sizable lumps of moon out there going around periodically, that interaction means that there's some fairly complicated gravitational mathematics going on in there. We won't delve into that too far, but what, you, what you're what you saying is that at certain distances, at certain periods, or in certain places throughout the rings, you just can't get stable orbiting or stable bits of ring there. just yeah. can't happen.
1: So this happens when you might have, for example, half of the orbital period of Titan or one-third, or you know, things that become integers as you scale them up. So yeah, these are that's, resonances That's are. the
0: thing about orbits, isn't it, is that the the orbital period is related to how far away you are from the thing in the middle. You yeah. know, the, the orbit around the sun of all the planets is entirely dependent on how far away from the sun the planet is. Similarly, going around Saturn, it's how far away you are from Saturn. And so you'll get these, these at a particular radius, a particular distance from the planet and presumably from the moon, um, you'll get these these places where it just doesn't work here. You know, yeah. if you put something in there, it's going to go somewhere else. It's yeah. unstable. So th- that gives us the gaps.
1: Some of the gaps are, are caused by these resonances. Uh, some of them are also caused by what we call shepherd moons, mm-hmm. which are inside the rings itself. So these are smaller moons, and uh, again, most of those are also resonances. Um, I think there's a sometimes a bit of a misconception with shepherd moons that they uh, they they orbit in a gap. That they've kind of cleared, but then that's not necessarily the reason why the gaps, all the gaps are there. They're not all got okay. shepherd moons in them. Right. They're also, again, resonances of the orbits of the shepherd right. moons.
0: Okay, so a couple of questions. First of all, are the shepherd moons. Actual moons are they counted among the the sixty plus moons?
1: They are they're real moons. Okay, uh, so they're they're reasonably sized. They're not as big as Titan and got atmospheres and things like that. But they're but
0: bigger th- chunks of stuff.
1: They're bigger spherical chunks of stuff
0: plowing their way through the the ring system. I mean, there's some of the some of the high res photos showing the you know these these shepherd moons quite literally plowing their way through, and you can see the wake behind them and in front yes, of them of the of yeah. the materials beautiful stuff but we'll as usual put the links in the show notes um Okay, so sometimes the gaps are caused by lumps of stuff, and sometimes they're not, they're just these resonances, or they're also these resonances.
1: Yeah, so that congregates, or correlates, like, what am I trying to say, corrals, there we go, Yes. corrals all the material into these defined ring kind of structures, and all the, the kind of the physics that's going on here is all related to uh, what we'll come back to when we talk about actually why do you have disks in the first place, which is all angular momentum. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's all about spinny stuff, and there's a lot of spinny stuff in the universe, as we find, it's every Everywhere. So if you're if you're paying attention at school out there in listener land, pay attention to the spinny stuff. Anytime something's turning around, it's important.
1: It's hard, but yeah, it's yeah. important. Yeah yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember doing it in, in, in physics at school and then at university and going, oh, my brain hurts. But you have to pay attention because it's everywhere. <laughs> all right.
1: Right. So moving on, we can mm-hmm. talk about some other disky things. Sounds good. So uh, you might have noticed, for example, that all the planets in the solar system orbit in what is basically a disk or a plane.
0: That is true. That is true. I mean, not a perfect plane. Some of the planets are sort of up a bit and down a bit, but not very much.
1: No, no. In fact, the one that the rogue at the moment is uh, Mercury. Mm-hmm. I say at the moment because it used to be that Pluto was the real rogue, right?
0: Yes, but as we have... Talked about on many occasions and still is controversial out there in in the world of, of astronomy. Uh, Pluto's not a planet; mm, doesn't count. No. But it's up at quite an angle, isn't
1: it? It is. So Pluto's up at seventeen degrees, which is a lot at maximum. Yeah, yeah. so that's quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so now the the title holder for the most um, eccentric, if you like, moving out of the plane planet is now Mercury, and Mercury moves out about six degrees. Okay, six so, or
0: seven. So that's not zero, but no. it's not enormous either um okay so going back to what you would what you started before which is we've got a dinner plate yeah and now the dinner plate is the size of the solar system what just going out to mercury venus earth mars jupiter saturn uranus neptune Going out to Neptune. Yeah. So well, Neptune's... actually, I
1: I did the solar system. So yeah, I I went around in bit circles with these sums yeah, on the okay. solar system because there's lots of different ways you could maybe calculate the size of, or let's say you wanted to calculate the width, if you like, of this plane mm-hmm. of the solar system, and there's lots of ways you could do it. And there's I did try and look for kind of a definite answer as to how wide is the the ecliptic plane, but not. On the sky, because that's a different astrological mm. meaning. Mm. Um, so how wide, if you like, is this plane of all the planets' orbits? Yeah. And it's a hard number to find, actually. And I'm sorry if people have spent a lot of time re- <laughs> measuring this and trying to figure it out. I suspect, actually, it's not really a number that astronomers usually care about I, a I lot. don't imagine
0: it would come up terribly often
1: so what I sort of did was I thought well if we took the planet mercury and we want to make sure that mercury fits even on its um, tilt we might make sure that mercury fits into this pancake uh, then how you know thick would the pancake have to be because you sure. got and you've got to sort of scale it as to Mercury's orbit. Um, So it turns out if you do that, the actual, Mm -hmm. the pancake comes out incredibly thin. Right. Okay. So it's only 0.1 of a millimeter thin.
0: Well, that is a very thin crepe.
1: That's mm. that's
0: about as thin as a crepe could be. Point one of a millimeter. Yeah.
1: You might have to roll that one up to eat it. I
0: think so. I think so. Little little squeeze of lemon and some sugar, but yeah. you'll be rolling that so one. So it's
1: a really creepy. Um, interestingly, if you did include Pluto as a planet, mm-hmm. um, and you wanted to include Pluto in your pancake, so let's do that. Then you'd have to have a pancake that's three centimeters thick.
0: That makes a huge difference. So Pluto were it a planet is tilted much, much more. And, of course, it's much further out
1: hmm. than
0: Mercury by an extraordinarily long way. Yeah. And so that means a much, much thicker pancake.
1: So do you understand why now Pluto is not a planet? It, would, it just it just doesn't fit into the pancake.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Pluto. Sorry, Pluto. You make the batter just a bit too thick. We can't cook this. It's not going to work. Okay. <laughs>
1: So interesting um, enough about um, the solar system, we talk about um, angular momentum and mass in the solar system. Now, you're probably aware that we've got a star in the centre of our solar system. It is
0: one of the defining things of the solar system. It's even in the name. Yep. Yeah.
1: Indeed. Uh, now, the sun's a pretty big object in the mm-hmm. solar system. In fact, it contains something like 99.8% of all the mass in the solar system. Yeah. So that's pretty it's pretty dominant in terms yeah. of the mass. Yeah. So however, when it comes to the angular momentum distribution, so that means if you sum up all the different parts of the solar system, how much angular momentum they have, it turns out that the sun only has something like 3%. That's amazing.
0: And and is that because going back to our angular momentum is radius and mass and velocity, right? The sun has got all the mass, but if we're talking about spinning around the center of the sun, then... Its radius in comparison to the size of the whole solar system is really small. And so its contribution, even though it's got all the mass, its contribution to the angular momentum is really small. Yeah. Whereas Jupiter, which has got relatively small mass compared to the sun, but is a really long way away, so its R times M times
1: V is actually really big. Yeah. In fact, Jupiter has about 60% of the angular momentum of the solar system. Oh, my God. That's nuts. It's crazy, yeah. Wow. And so these big gas giants that are orbiting quite far from the sun actually hold most of the angular momentum budget.
0: Wow.
1: Which is really interesting because if you took a very classical approach to collapsing gas clouds, you find that, first of all, the solar system is not whizzing around as quickly as it really should be. So if you really did take this, this... um, calculation of L is uh, M times V times the radius, then you end up with something by well, the time you've collapsed down, the say, the cloud that was going to form the entire solar system down to what we have today. The sun should be spinning at several times per second or something. Really? Crazy. Yeah. Okay.
0: And it's not. It's clearly not. We can see that.
1: No, it's, it's going around about once a month. Um, but, yeah, so there's been a really a huge shed of angular momentum in the solar system. And so despite we having this uh, really true physical law that you can't, uh, angular momentum must be conserved, we actually have to get rid of a lot of it if we can to explain the evolution of our own solar system. And I mean,
0: when we say that angular momentum has to be conserved, you know, in physics, you talk about systems and closed systems. and, And I guess the solar system perhaps isn't completely closed, that it is possible for angular momentum to be lost how
1: yeah well this is really interesting and so this is where we've had to start to think about actually what other physics impacts the formation of planets and stars because we have to get down from something like um what we initially had in this cloud down to one ten millionth of the angular momentum so we're to shed nine of uh, nine out of ten millionths Is that a good way to write that? A
0: lot. A lot. had to shed almost all of it. Almost all of it, yeah. Okay. Over the course of
1: formation. Yeah, so there's lots of ways you can do this. Um, Now, one of the most easy to, I guess, get your head around um, and easiest way to dump a whole lot of angular momentum very, very quickly. Should
0: you need to, in a hurry.
1: Is instead of forming one star, to form two. Right. Or three.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, like something like a binary star system. I'm
0: just, I'm just putting my hand up at this point, Emily. You have noticed that we do only have one. Yeah. I ha- I see a problem with this theory. We definitely. <laughs> well. Definitely only have one star in our solar system.
1: There are some people, and I'm not going to say they're astronomers because I don't think they are. <laughs> But I did find a website where some people do believe that the sun is a binary and I'm very confused by that and I'm just not really gonna go any further down that particular line of reasoning.
0: (laughs) Always behind the
1: sun? Is that the idea? Is I don't know. Okay.
0: Well let's let's Put that one aside yeah. for the it time being. It is a useful being. concept
1: for other systems. Sure. Right. Uh, lots of other binary systems exist, um, and many of them have planets as well. So that helps the maths, at least for those particular sure.
0: systems. Okay, that's one way to do it. Maybe not in our case.
1: No. Uh, now, the thing to remember is that when stars are formed, they are pretty nasty little objects. Yeah, right? I
0: remember you saying. They're really violent.
1: Yeah, they're, they're, they're not like cute, cuddly little infant stars. They no. are terrors, yeah. utter terrors. So they have this um, protostar that's kind of just been formed. It's got this big disk. Now, at this point, we imagine this disk to be kind of a bit more like the rings of Saturn in terms of being kind of um, clumpy bits of stuff, but more smoothed out than what we see in the solar system today, which is just a few lumps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now, there's a lot of disk mechanics that you've got to kind of start to put into your models if you want to understand how solar systems form. Um, you've got to have, for example, friction. So you've got to have bits of rock rubbing up against each other and heating each other. And one of the key things is you've got to pass a lot of the angular momentum that the star has out into the disk. It's kind of like you've got to give the angular momentum that the initial star would have had to where Jupiter is today. Okay. It's, got to, it's got to move, sure. if that makes sense. Sure, sure. Um, And so the ways you can do this are, first of all, you've got some winds that are going to be really, really important. And this is important because you're changing mass, right? So this is why angular momentum is conserved as a kind of only approximate, because you're moving the mass distribution around. So you're moving uh, the mass off the surface of the star. You're pushing it out into the disk. It changes things in the disk. It ionizes material.
0: So you're talking about solar wind here, stuff which is coming off or from the the star and moving outwards because the sun is a, you know big, horrible, violent ball of death. And it's sending stuff out into the solar system. And that's distribu- – I mean, it's stuff that's distributing mass. Yes. And so that's changing where the angular momentum is situated, in a sense. You know, yes. If you think about yeah. it being situated with the mass – we kind of that makes sense then yep. it's moving outwards
1: and some of it is lost i mean there are energy losses in these processes right so when you frictions of a great energy loss for example the winds pushing into things ionizing all of these are energy loss mechanisms but one of the and jets you know jets mm. coming out of these pre Um, pre-stars or proto-stars. But one of the biggest things that we're trying to understand is actually the contribution of the magnetic field. Okay. Because magnetic fields are really, really important when stars are just born. They're nasty, they're violent, but there's probably lots of interactions with these magnetic fields and the early disks that are forming around these stars. And so if you've got magnetism, which is another force kind of entering the equation as well, then you, you you're messing up again.
0: Yeah, how I mean, things are structured. Just the maths alone is horrible. You try to figure <laughs> out what the hell's going on physically. Okay.
1: So this is an area of research which is really interesting because it sort of comes from a very basic kind of well. If we just take this conservation law, how fast should the planets be orbiting? How fast should the sun be spinning today? Yeah, easy. Oh, easy, hang easy. on. We've Turns got to out... actually explain all this stuff in the yeah, middle. Not so easy. Yeah. Cool okay so that's quite fun now of course we can also use other planetary systems in the universe to help us with sure this as okay
0: well. so we we've started with Saturn we've gone to our solar system let's look elsewhere move out
1: yeah so we have a pretty good sample of nearby uh, stars that have planetary disks around them kind mm-hmm. of like the sun would have in its early days now um, here's our pancakes mm-hmm. coming back in um, more than eighty five percent of these disks are less than five millimeters Thick as a pancake.
0: Okay, so now just backing up a second. You said that the solar system, if we ignore Pluto, is a fraction of a millimetre.
1: Mm-hmm. If
0: we include Pluto, then it was how?
1: Thick? Three centimetres. Three
0: centimetres. Now, you're saying if we go and look at like how representative is that? If we go and look at other nearby solar systems, planetary systems around other stars, then 85% of them yeah. are five millimetres or less. Or less. Yeah. So that's a fairly... Thin sort of crepey style thing is the norm.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, so let's. I mean, I have to be honest here that I didn't do that calculation using the planets and those systems. It's but it's based on the width of the disk itself. So probably the width of our disk would have been similar, and Mercury's just going a little bit crazy. Right,
0: (laughs) Mercury. We've talked to you about this.
1: Yeah, so we we have lots of these examples, and there's some beautiful, beautiful pictures, uh, including from the Hubble Space Telescope. Of these um, planet-forming um, stars, mm-hmm. uh, often in the constellation of Orion, that's our sort of next-door giant stellar nursery. So we see lots of new stars being formed there. Good place there. to look. Yeah, lots of disks, really, really pretty. So we got lots of information coming from from those kind of areas. So it's really nice that yeah. we have these uh, other systems. Nice, that we can and look it's to as it's well.
0: really nice that we're able to. Finally, I mean, after after a very long time of, of guessing, we're now actually able to see whether or not our local environment, our neighbourhood is is the norm or are we a bit different? And turns out,
1: no, it looks pretty familiar. Yeah, we mostly are pretty normal. Yeah,
0: which is, I guess, comforting or boring, depending on your point of view.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Lynn, let's take another step back okay. out. Yep. Let's have a look at the next scale of disks.
0: All right. So we've gone our solar system, other solar systems within the galaxy. So galaxy?
1: Yeah. yeah. You might have noticed that a lot of galaxies are kind of disk-shaped as well.
0: Well, and you can even see that in our galaxy, even though we can't see the Milky Way from outside it because we're inside it, and that's how that works. Um, the fact that you can see that band of the Milky Way, that is the disk. That's that's the galaxy. Yeah. You know, we're kind of looking through it there. So if you go out on a really clear night, do that. We can't say that enough. Really clear night, go and see the band of the Milky Way. That is the galaxy.
1: And we can see lots of other galaxies just like our yeah. own. I mean, the Whirlpool Galaxy, the Andromeda Galaxy. These are the famous, famous images of beautiful, what we call grand spiral Yeah, galaxies. I mean,
0: they're not all like that. Some of them are sort of blobby and, and some of them are stretched out. But the yeah. spiral ones the are, pancake-y are ones. stunning yeah stunning things
1: we're not going to talk about the blobby ones because i don't think they'd make the, they're more for the donut it's episode a, i yeah, think. donuts or
0: dough balls yeah that's sort of yeah yeah we'll leave that for another time yeah, yeah. but we'll talk international about international <laughs> dough <ball> day
1: <laughs> we'll talk about the pancakey ones <laughs> Um, now you you could um, have a go at making your own uh, spiral galaxy pancake. I reckon.
0: Yeah, I think that'd be. good. I think if
1: you had some chocolate batter and you yeah, had some nice. vanilla batter, so nice. you could yeah make a nice swirly spiral pancake. Oh, I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> now for your um, scale model for your yes. your, your galaxy to if be. If we complete, had a
0: galaxy the size of a plate, a dinner plate,
1: mm-hmm. it would be two millimeters thick.
0: I'm a little bit surprised by that. I would have just. I mean. Looking out at the night sky, looking at that at that Milky Way, stretching across, looking at pictures of because i mean some lovely pictures of of spiral galaxies side on. Mm. Some of them, we're we're looking at them like direct face on and they're amazing structures. And some of them are absolutely side on. And they kind of look thick to me. So I would have thought that it would be thicker than that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have to also say and admit that I didn't include the central bulge.
0: Okay, so you're talking about the disk. So I'm disk really bits. talking about the disk, yep. yeah,
1: how how big's the disk? And we've talked about before, we have a thin disk and a thick disk. And yep. So I took the thick disk and mm-hmm. basically scaled from there. Okay. Um, yeah, so we have these beautiful spiral galaxies um, as pancakes. And so the, same, the reason why they're disk-shaped is exactly the same reason as why we have planetary disks that go on to form solar systems. Is because the galaxy kind of um, the angular momentum is holding it into this disc shape. You had an overall preference for some kind of rotation axis, and that pulls everything else into a disc. Kind of
0: staggering, isn't it? That I can almost get a grip on a planetary system forming out of a big ball of gas that just happens to have a preference for one direction. And even though the solar system is very big, I can just sort of get a bit of a grip on that. But when you start talking about things the size of galaxies, my head starts to implode a little bit just at the concept of an enormous primordial ball of galactic dust or intergalactic dust that then collapses down and forms a huge galaxy because there was a tiny, tiny little preference for we're going to go this way, not that way.
1: Well, actually, we don't think that happened.
0: Okay, that would be why my intuition's failing. Well, no,
1: but that's, that's a very reasonable thing to assume. You sure. assume that, okay, we form stars from a collapsing cloud of gas and dust, so surely galaxies are just there on a larger scale. All
0: right, then. Blow my mind. How does it work? We
1: actually have more evidence to suggest that galaxies are formed from a bottom-up model than a top-down model.
0: As in galaxies form out of the Constituent parts, not the other way around. It's 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 what stars and solar systems first clumping together to make galaxies.
1: Probably, really? yeah. And well, probably huh. even if you go back to the really early days, probably we're talking about things like globular clusters forming first, and they seeding galaxies. Wow and seeding the kind of congregation of material. We've also got dark matter, which is, plays a hugely important role in pulling together matter. Into which we a,
0: still don't even understand, but let's but it, But it's there, and yeah, it has yeah. to happen, you otherwise we won't effects. have galaxies <laughs> at all. Right. Yeah. So let's just factor that into the calculations. Yeah,
1: and, and uh, so, yeah, so our best, the models are saying that actually we start with mostly smaller stuff and you kind of build up from there, which means it's um, bottom up rather than top down as, you know, have a large thing that collapses down.
0: So where does the preferential spinniness come from in that sense then
1: well you still got lots of objects that are gravitationally bound to one another okay. they're all still gravity is a thing that's interacting with all of these different things and so there's still gravitational forces and there's still some preference of those forces in a particular direction or some preference of the movement in a right. particular direction so it's the
0: same idea it's just not forming a galaxy out of a huge ball of gas it's forming a galaxy out of a huge cluster of Dust, star, clusters, star clusters, clumps that of kind gas. Of thing. And so it's the same. Stars, it's the same yeah. principle. You're just dealing with slightly larger constituent parts. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. So the same principle of even though everything's moving in roughly random directions, this tiny preference gets amplified and amplified and amplified as it all collapses together to form this galactic structure.
1: Hmm. Cool. And then we have another interesting piece of physics which we add in there, which makes the um, disk of the galaxy not just a smooth. Object, right? Yeah, yeah. We've got some these beautiful structures we call spiral arms yeah. that go through. so
0: what's what's that about?
1: So these are called density waves. Mm-hmm. So these um, are actually traveling waves of material, which means that it works as, in kind of the same way as sound works in air. So the way that sound travels in air is you get a compression of the air and then... Uh, when the wave comes up and then you get a rarefication or becomes less dense the air as it sort of passes through right
0: the noise moving through the air is these molecules scrunching together and then moving apart and then the you know next molecule over gets scrunched and with the with the one in front of it and that scrunchiness sort of moves its way across as a pressure wave that's yeah. what sound is
1: so if i speak to you on the other side of the room the actual molecules that come out of my mouth aren't the same ones that go into your ear.
0: No, your breath isn't the thing that I hear. It's your breath pushing against the air in front of it, which pushes the air against the air in front of it, which pushes against the air in front of it, and eventually all that push gets to me. Is that the, the similar sort of thing that's yeah, happening in yes. a
1: galaxy? Yeah. So so sound waves are these waves travelling through air. Yeah. Gravity uh, density waves travelling through galaxies just travel through gas and dust and stars.
0: Cool, except using gravity presumably instead of instead of what electromagnetism which is what it is for molecules
1: yeah so yeah. That, so you get bits where everything gets compressed mm-hmm. so these are the arms and then you get bits where everything gets sort of pushed away again rarefied cool
0: and they so they're traveling waves does that yeah. mean the the as you're going around the the galaxy those arms are moving
1: yeah, so they're very slowly moving over time as well. So individual stars may sometimes be in spiral arms or very it will move out of them very, very slowly. So, so. The,
0: the wave will pass by. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That's really cool. Like I knew that the galaxies were, were rotating. I just assumed that all the stars were rotating in in sync with the like that that is what's rotating. But You're saying that's a little bit different. It's a a a wave moving through the stars. That's very cool.
1: Because if you take the stars that are moving at the very centre of the galaxy, just like the planets in our solar system, they're orbiting the galaxy very quickly. Mm. uh, Whereas stars out, say, where the sun are, are orbiting a bit slower. So the the stars that are close to the centre of the galaxy do lap us all the time, right? Interior um, stars. So the whole galaxy doesn't rotate... Like a dinner plate, like no, a disc. Not
0: rotating as one.
1: It's kind of got this differential rotation that means that you got faster things yeah, closer to the And centre. then
0: superimposed on top of that are these enormous wave structures, which is the arm.
1: Yeah. Very, very slow moving, we must That's say. They're cool. not but yeah, they're yeah, interestingly compressing everything into these spiral cool. arms. Are
0: we currently in an arm or not?
1: We're in a what we call a spur. No, that doesn't sound nearly as interesting. <laughs> I think that's really a way to make us feel better about the fact we're not, we're not quite in an, an arm, arm.
0: But we are in a spur. Yeah, thanks. So it's a little what bit a... of a
1: kind of like tiny finger off the side of an arm. We're in it too. <laughs> so we're in the Orion we're spur special. off the Sagittarius arm.
0: Cool. Okay. All right. So getting back to our pancake analogy, how thick was the galaxy? Was two two millimeters.
1: About a okay. 10p coin. Yeah.
0: All right. So that's a... That's probably a bit of a stodgy crepe. That's not your really thin French crepe, but it's not full on thick. I reckon that's
1: probably thick. about right if you yeah. want to have a bit of butter. I yeah. think I think our fraction of a millimeter that we had with the solar system. Okay. I'm a bit worried that oh, yeah. I, I mean, might lose my butter out of the, yeah, the pancake. That's barely
0: even there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the galaxy is a reasonable pancake. Okay.
1: All right. Okay. That's kind of I'm, that's, I'm leaning towards the galaxy. It's one of my favourites. All right. Um, and yeah, I've got a final one yeah. about disks. And on, this is then. something we've mentioned on the podcast um, several times. With these discs, go on—you you know it's going to be one of your favorite topics. Uh,
0: okay. Well, look—I mean, we've been moving our way out and up in size, but I can't think of a larger disc-like structure than a galaxy. I mean, you get galactic clusters and things like that, but they're not—they're not sort of discs, really. I don't. No. I don't think. And the, and the large-scale structure of the universe is not really disc-like. So I think we're going in a different direction. I'm going to hazard a guess here and say. Are we talking about the accretion disks around black holes?
1: Everyone loves a good accretion disk around a black hole. (laughs) Points for
0: me. Five points for Chris. Accretion disk, black holes. Go on then. What are we talking about?
1: Yeah. So black holes, we've talked about several times. They're these kind of enigmas of astronomy, if you like.
0: They are. Yes. So
1: black holes themselves are kind of a weird theoretical but observable yet singularity event where you've got a whole lot of mass in a very, very tiny uh, volume, which means that it doesn't light can't escape from these black holes. Yeah, Hence... it's,
0: it's where the laws of physics break down, basically. Yeah. If you've got so much mass in such a small space that even Einstein's general theory of relativity goes, <laughs> I don't know, I guess you've got a singularity. It's all collapsed down to nothing. Let's call that a black hole. And we can't see them, except that we kind of can. Um, well, we can
1: see these accretion discs, yeah, and that 's the exciting thing, so the black hole themselves our light can 't escape, so there 's no way that we can see them, but they do have these discs around them of rotating material that 's in many cases falling into the black hole as well, which means that it kind of it's it 's rotating and it 's got lots of heat coming into that disc, which means we can take images of it because. That is putting off some light, yep, and that's indeed what we saw when we saw this beautiful black hole image as well. Yes, we saw some of the yeah. material swirling like a around year the black ago? hole. When was that? Yeah, now? it would have been about a year ago. So that was yeah. cool.
0: So image, actual image of a supermassive black hole. Yeah, and that you should definitely
1: fun. check out the episode because it's not quite as straightforward as it's not red ring as the disk, but yeah. it's it's actually really really interesting. Yeah. So
0: again, what we're seeing there is not the black hole itself because that's problematic. We're seeing its impact on the stuff swirling around it. So tell us about this accretion disk then.
1: Yeah, so we think this happens for most types of black holes. If there's any material in the area, just like if planets are orbiting a very large mass like the sun, you can have smaller bits of material orbiting your black hole, which sure. is a large mass. And this can actually be in a very, very stable orbital situation. So you can have... Kind of a lot of material going around for quite a long time. Yeah, I
0: mean, people think of black holes as kind of like an enormous sort of I mean, some combination of a of a bathtub plug hole sucking everything <laughs> down it or a Hoover or something like that a vacuum cleaner. But it's not. I mean, it's 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 really really dense, but it's just gravity. You know, it's it's no different from any other really massive thing with a lot of gravitational force that can have things orbiting around it if you get too close then things get really problematic and it can tear you apart but otherwise you can be in orbit around a black hole in the same way that you can be in orbit around the sun or the earth Hmm. that's not a problem
1: yeah so some black holes are just merrily sitting there with their own accretion disks not doing terribly much But some of them are Mm. doing really exciting stuff. And that's where it's fun. And that's where it's fun. Because when you have accretion, then you've got energy being released. And that's when these black holes really show their nasty side, if you like. Uh, So we've talked about um, black holes, for example, in the centres of galaxies, active galaxies where the infalling material gets shot out in jets and you get
0: really energetic jets
1: crazy amounts of energy being released you've got big accretion discs that are getting very very hot and then they're enshrouded in sort of larger structures and they're holding together of course the entire galaxy around them and they're just spectacular things and even stellar mass black holes will have can have these accretion disks of course all the energy is kind of on a lower energy scale but it's still there but you can still have these things um yeah and so they're putting out lots of x-rays and things like that that we can detect so they are very exciting things now i'm going to disappoint you here Mm -hmm. because i couldn't really figure out how to calculate
0: (laughs) (laughs) if your if your black hole accretion disk was the size of a dinner plate dot 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 that's not a calculation that's easy to Easy to look up. No, and do, and, really? and actually
1: I thought kind of my whole analogy here of pancakes starts to <laughs> break down. down.
0: <laughs> Just <laughs> like everything else. Everything else around black holes, even pancake theory breaks down. Yeah. Quantum physics breaks down, general relativity breaks down, and pancake theory breaks down.
1: Cause I haven't had come across a dinner plate with a giant hole <laughs> in the middle. And I certainly haven't come across a pancake that's kind of shooting a jet perpendicular up into the air.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, what was were you able to make even a best guess? No, it, no, no, okay. not really at
1: all. I mean, um, and again, I do apologize if your research is into the thickness <laughs> of accretion disks around black holes. You to be out
0: there listening to this. I mean, listen, do that'd, tell be me. a, that'd be a problem we'd love to have. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe you write and say, well, actually, it's really easy to do. And it turns out it's about 14 centimeters. Okay, fine. Good. Great. But in the meantime, Emily, you're throwing your hands up in the air and just saying, no. Nah.
1: Yeah. Sorry if, if I haven't come hole, across your research paper just yet.
0: But... If you've got a black hole <laughs> on your dinner plate, you've got bigger problems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of this pancake-tastic episode of I don't know about you, I'm hungry. I'm hungry Emily.
1: It's time to go flip a few.
0: Yeah, I think it might be. Listen, there's a couple of things that we we should probably mention as we find our way out of this episode. First of all I mean, it's still a little bit of a way off depending on when you're listening to this, but you know, we're recording this in February. Coming up in May we have a very special event. We're going to be heading down to the city of Hull, not very far away from us here in York and they are having the very first Northern Podcast Festival. So if you go and Google Northern podcast festival you will find us there on the bill and we're going to be playing a live show one of our great syzygy space offs spaces off one of our live shows um, down at the, the northern podcast festival which is going to be on
1: 16th of may yes
0: quickly Googles it on the 16th of may in the yeah. afternoon, but 2pm. So
1: it's a so, nice Saturday afternoon. It's going to be a family-friendly show. Yeah,
0: it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're in the area, or even if you're not, and you feel like travelling up to the great city of Hull, then come and see us at the Northern Podcast Festival. The tickets are online now. You can go and get them for the cheap price. And I think this is fabulous. £2.67. Like, uh, yeah. that's just so random. Please
1: bring exact change to the door. No. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please.
0: No, no change will be given. So that's that. Um, otherwise, if you want to get in touch with us, the usual ways are possible. Emily, how do people talk to us?
1: On the t- of us. Yes. So we are at Pod, S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y pod. S- S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram. I like to put nice pictures up there from time to time. And we are also on Facebook.
0: We are. the, the Most of the, the social medias, we're not on TikTok yet.
1: What even is that?
0: I have no idea. It's just something that the kids do. Oh. Um, I haven't got the phone. I think we're too old, Chris. Uh, we, we, listen, out of the two of us, you're the one who is a bit closer. I'll leave you to work out the TikTok. Okay. I, I'm still even...
1: I'm still battling Instagram.
0: <laughs> okay. Maybe not TikTok, but the others, And, of course, we have a website, syzygy.fm, where you can find all the past episodes and, and all of that sort of thing. If you want to help us out, tell your friends, tell your family, leave us a review on your podcast client of choice, or go to patreon.com slash syzygypod and become a patron of the show. Sling a few pounds our way, and it helps to keep the lights on quite literally because just this week we are um, renewing our syzygy.fm domain name and keeping our website alive. And that is thanks to all of the patrons who have pledged money over the last 18 months that we've been doing this show. So thank you to everyone for quite literally keeping the electrons pumping through our website.
1: You are all stars.
0: You are all stars, galaxies, meteors, you name it, Your, your universal stuff and we thank all of you. That'll probably do it for today so we'll catch you for something else cosmic and universal in give or take a week's time. See you, everybody. See you later. Bye.
1: Is (sighs) is TikTok the one with the, the ghost on the yellow background?
0: No, 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 that's Snapchat. Come on. I have, I literally have no idea what the icon, what the, the 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 image for TikTok is. It's a it was a dancing thing, and now it's become, like you would dance and lip sync or something to music. But now it's just become a, another social media video. I right. I literally don't know. Yes. and I have teenage children, like I should know, but I no.
1: You just go to websites these days, and there's just like this icon board at the bottom, and I'm like, I think I recognise three of them.
0: <laughs> yes, whatever happened to the social media we had before the war? Hey. Eh? I don't know, kids today.
1: It's better to carry pigeons. <laughs>